Here's what's ahead of us on Abounding Grace. Understand this. Sin will always do at least three things in your life. Number one, sin will take you farther than you really want to go. Number two, sin will keep you longer than you really want to stay. And number three, sin will cost you more than you really want to pay. Take you farther than you really want to go, keep you longer than you really want to stay, and cost you more than you really want to pay. That's why it's so vital to train ourselves to say no to the temptation and walk away and turn back to the Lord. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. This is amazing grace. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace. We're in the midst of a series of studies in 2 Samuel. Last time we were together, David caved into temptation and committed adultery with a married woman. What made matters worse, as we're about to see, is David goes to great lengths to cover his sin up. Standing in the way was Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. Pastor Ed Taylor joins us in 2 Samuel 11 with more. Verse 14. It was so that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he, may, that he may be struck down and die. So it happened while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. We find David at this point in his life determined to do whatever he needs to do to cover up this sin from Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, even to the point of killing him. Oh, it doesn't look that way, does it? He went back into the battle. He put him on the front lines. He retreats from him. And it just so happens that in that environment, he's killed in the line of duty. Who would know? David. And Joab, nothing's hidden. This is all going to come back, and it's all that the consequences of these decisions David's making is going to be something he deals with to his last breath. It wrecked his family, and he lost respect among the men that once had it. They did what he told them to do. They, you know, Joab could have been a man of integrity, but you know, we study, we've studied and seen Joab. He was, a, he was rotten. Joab was already used to killing people at will to do his own bidding. David, this man after God's own heart, a man who's used of God in so many ways, a man with so many great qualities, what happened? Well, it started out so simple. And you can, I could talk to people and, and, and I see something in their life and, and the Lord will put it upon my heart to share a strong word and, and I, I'll tell them where they're at right here. Just, you know, this is a bad decision and, and, and you know, you just need to stop. It just, you need to make it right. You need to repent, whatever it might be. 
And there's a lot of resistance when you get a word like that. That's why the church doesn't share a lot. That's why you're, you're even fearful to share something the Lord's put on your heart for someone because you're afraid they're going to flip out on you and be upset with you. And how could you tell me that? You don't love me. You don't tell me what to do. On and on the, the responses come. But then on some occasions, God tells me how it's going to end. Not exactly, you know, not the exact every decision, but I say, you know, this is where you're headed. This is what's going to happen. You're going to lose everything. It's, it's not going to end well. And, and I have people in my life that in my office, if we're talking about hard things, I have people in my life, they've given me permission to tell their story. And I'll tell it to them. And they've even given me permission that if, if it comes to it, I said, you know, can they talk to you? Can you tell them what happened? Because they're on the same path as you. They should hear it from you. Very rarely do people take that, take me up on that. Because it starts so small. I'm not 100% right all the time, but when I'm speaking from the word, I am. And David is a warning. When we speak from the word, this is a warning. It started out, how does David become a murderer? He decides not to go to war. It was his prerogative. He was a king. He could tell anybody to fight for him. It was within his realm of responsibility. The decision to send people out to war on his behalf is not necessarily a sinful decision. And the Bible really wants us to understand, God really wants us to understand that it was normal for kings to go to war. David should have been in war. He should have been leading the troops in battle. It was normal. It was normal for David. He's done it many times before. But here he is, and often what we refer to in our culture as a midlife time in his life, perhaps a midlife crisis, if you want to call it that. It really isn't that at all. It started with him staying home. It started with a lazy decision. Laziness. I'll send other people. I'll stay home. Then his eyes wander. Then his lust is inflamed. Then he chooses to feed his lust. Then he chooses to use his power and greed and send messengers. Go get her. Then she comes. Then he contemplates all the evil thoughts and he begins to think them over in his head. Then he starts to plot. Then he tries to cover. Then a baby. Then he murders. Just... So quick, he looks back, he's like, whoa. Before you know it, you're so deep that now the decision to get out, the decision to repent, you're now all in self-deception because you weren't willing to pay the price early on. What makes you think you're gonna wanna pay the price later on? And so the decision to get out, you're weighing all your options. You're like, well, man, I can't get out now. I'm in too deep. We actually use that phrase. I can't get out now. And you continue on and continue on. Understand this. Sin will always do at least three things in your life. Number one, sin will take you farther than you really want to go. Number two, sin will keep you longer then you really want to stay. And number three, sin will cost you more than you really want to pay. Take you farther than you really want to go, keep you longer than you really want to stay, 
and cost you more than you really want to pay. That's why it's so vital to train ourselves to say no to the temptation and walk away and turn back to the Lord. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If you mess around with sin, you'll understand something. You don't control the situation. That's one of the deceiving things about sin. In sin, you think you're in full control. You think you've got it all taken care of. Everything is under your control. Oh, you control the narrative and you control the gossip and you control, and you get this sense of being emboldened by your sin. Why? Because the graciousness of God is waiting for you to repent, (laughs) which is often misunderstood, isn't it? The graciousness of God, while he is patient with you and I to repent, is often misunderstood as God's approval or just neglecting to even deal with our sin, like God didn't see it or nobody knows or any of those lies that you can tell yourself. No, you don't control the situation. When you sin, according to Jesus in John chapter 8, you become a slave to sin. John chapter 8, verse 34, you should memorize it. We become slaves to sin when we sin immediately. You, you and I are yielding our control of our lives to evil, to the process of evil, to the pathway of evil. And sin will capture you, and it will destroy you, and it will make you someone that when you're done and it's over, you look back and say, but that's not me. Someone will come to you and say, what happened? I don't know. It's not me. And you'd be right. Because in the spirit, as a believer, it's not you. If you would have cut it early on, I would have cut it early on, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have all this mess. Sure, I'd have a mess in the beginning because the wages of sin is always death. There's always going to be some issue that with repentance, maybe it's humility, maybe it's just brokenness. There's a lot of things that, comes with, that, that come with sin, but it doesn't have to get so bad. Sin will capture you, destroy you, make you someone that when you're done, you just, like, that's not me. You can't control your destiny once you allow yourself to mess with sin. And one author said, and I quote, David once killed giants, now this giant's killing him. He's a murdering, conniving adulterer at this point in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 18, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. He charged the messenger, saying, when you have finished telling the matters of war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, why did you approach so near this city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jer... You know his name. Was it not a woman who cast a piece of the millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So here's Joab setting up a little code. Whether that was pre-set up or not, we don't know. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance to the gate. The, the archer shot from the wall at your servant. Some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. Joab, while following orders, isn't the kind of man you really want around you. You don't want him as in second in command. 
David's not showing a lot of integrity here. Uriah is a man of super integrity. Joab has none. You don't want him around you. He would be the kind of guy that, that is good with his words and good with people. He was, he's good at moving and manipulating, as you that study with us through 1 Samuel saw from his life, but he was rotten to the core. He wasn't really a man who was David's friend. He wasn't really looking out for David. He was looking out for himself. And I believe that Joab saw an opportunity here. And here's a danger. Here's a danger I'd like to warn you about, just in your own heart. Sometimes when a person goes through a great trial, many, many men and women rally around him or her to encourage them and uplift them and help them. Many times when a man or a woman has a lapse in their lives, a difficulty in their life, they too are often surrounded by men and women that want to help them and encourage them and get them back on their feet. That's who we want in our lives, of course. However, and this goes kind of both ways in your own weaknesses and also the, the reality of how you might respond. There are those times when another man's weakness is seen by another man as opportunity. And Joab is certainly that man. He's setting himself up for the future. If he was a man of integrity, he would have given up his own life for Uriah, knowing that standing up to the king, I'm not going to do that. On a much smaller scale, I remember back working uh, in the corporate world, and I remember the first time, it never happened before, but we had just got bought by another company. I started working a new job and a lot of responsibility, and the first time my boss came to me and said, hey, I just, can you sign these for me? And I said, well, what are they? And he says, well, you know, we need somebody's signature because we didn't do it right, and we're going to file it with the DMV. And I said, so you're asking me to sign something that if the company gets in trouble, they're going to come after me? Well, you know, don't worry about that. We'll cover for you. And, and, and I'm like, so you're asking me to do something that you have to cover for? No, I don't mean that. And we had this little conversation, but it was respectful because it's my boss. You know, if I say no, he can instantly say, you're done then. You know, you're not going to do this for me. And I don't know that there would have been anybody that could have plead my case uh, after him. But I remember the first time I had to look at him and say, no, no. I'm not signing those. I'm not signing those not just because I'm going to go to jail if you guys get busted, but I'm not signing it because it's wrong. And this boss happened to have seen me grow up as a kid. He knew me. He knew my family. But in this case, he wanted me to do something that would have taken him off the hook. You know, if I was, a sar I, I'm, I'm, if I was sarcastic, I actually was sarcastic. But if I let my inside voice speak that day, I would have said, you've got a pen. Why don't you sign them? But I didn't. I just said, no, I can't do it. If that means I lose my job, it means I lose my job. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. I'll get somebody else to sign it. All right. I don't even want to know, man. You know, because I'll call the cops on you. <laughs> don't take advantage of another man's weakness. Don't see it as an opportunity to hurt him even more. You see his sister fall. According to Galatians, you and I are to go alongside and restore a brother. If what's being said is as bad as they say it is, the person they're talking about probably needs some help. But if it's not as bad as they say it is and it simply lies, they need to be rebuked. Joab is not a man that you want around you. And unfortunately, you don't always know the people 
that you want around you until the crisis comes. Because the crisis is a very big revealer of hearts. And in David's life, he needed some help. He's going to get it. Let's not focus so much on Joab. He's going to get it. He's, he's got a true friend. His name? Nathan. He's the guy that was, they were hanging out together, talking about building a temple, remember? They're hanging out with godly people, talking about godly things. He's got a friend. But Joab's not one of them. Verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What an ending. Certainly, I believe there is sincerity in Bathsheba's grief, in this widow's grief. But in the back of her mind, I think she's also thinking of her future. She has one husband gone, but she'll have another. And this other husband will bring much money to her and prestige and honor. But little did she know the pain that would soon visit her. And within a verse... We don't know if it was a customary morning time. There's a few days here uh, if it's not. But within a verse in our Bible, she's married again. It's a little unusual for a widow to marry so soon. But looking out for herself, it's easy to see that she'd go for the money. Now, not only did she see her future secure, there's no real question of her, what's going on and what happened to my husband, it seems. Not only does she see her future secure, but I also believe David sees his future secure. If we could have a sound effects from the scriptures, this particular sound effect here at the end of chapter 11 would be a deep breath. It's over. It's done. Everything's fine. It happens so quickly. The timing of the pregnancy won't even come out as adultery. Everything's fine. I got away with it. I'm sure he thought it's over. Relieved. And he's covered his tracks so well. David even comes out looking like the hero, doesn't he? He doesn't come out looking like the conniving murderer. He's the hero because he took care of the widow takes in this poor pregnant wife, the widow of one of the fallen captains. I'm sure the people would see him and say, what a man he is. So upright, so good. That's the kind of king that we want. Yet, not all is as it appears. Isn't that true so many times in life? Not all is as it appears. What do they say? Don't judge a book by its cover. I saw a bookstore recently. They took this to heart. I should have looked up what the name of the bookstore was, but the bookstore took all the books of their inventory and they wrapped them in brown paper bags from the market and then wrote a very small description of the book so that they know what the title is and what a small description is just to test this theory so nobody would have to judge a book by its cover, just by the description. We often judge by outward appearances and if we were looking at this and we didn't know the whole story and we were just watching it, just seeing it, just getting the glimpses as we're living our own life and then we get a little glimpse and a little glimpse and a little glimpse and oh, that's how it is. That's the way it is. Listen, not all is as it appears. The final word 
in any sin-soaked story belongs to the Lord. You can trust him. You can trust him if you find yourself thinking, well, where's the final word? Where's vindication? Where's righteousness? Where's justice? Listen, the final word in any any sin-soaked story, whether it's your side and God's going to bring you to repentance or you're on the other side and you've been taken advantage of or, you know, whatever that might look like, God always has the last word. And the last 10 words of this chapter sum up the heart of God. This is what God saw. We always want, what did God see? What does God see in these kind of situations? The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And it's interesting because in the Hebrew here, you have the thing, singular, covering all of it. It's one thing. And if you want to read ahead, read chapter 12 and read Psalm 51 and you'll see David agrees. He knows. It's one thing you can take to heart. If perhaps you're on the other end of some sinful, crazy thing, listen, God knows, and so does the person. He'll bring it to pass. Sin always brings forth death. It may take several days. It may take weeks, months, or even years. You might even have some secret sin that you haven't dealt with. You even maybe think it's no big deal, that God doesn't care. Man doesn't know, so I'll just let it go. But we've learned, Numbers 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. It can only be a secret for so long until when it's fully grown and when it's conceived, as we saw in the book of James. And when it's full grown, you can, get, you can bank on it. It will bring forth death. It's easy to fool yourself into thinking you got away with it, but you're only de- delaying the inevitable. No matter how well I think I've covered my tracks, the reality is, is that sin will track me down. That's the devil's strategy. That's what he does. He sucks you into sin, and then he makes sure that the sin surfaces to expose you, to humiliate you, and then condemn you. You know those cartoons when we were growing up, they always had a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other one. Well, the devil's on both. And on one side, the devil's saying, just do it. No big deal. Nobody will know. And look, everybody's on your side. Everybody, just do it. And you're like, all right, let's do it. And then the moment that you jump into sin, the devil shows up and he says, what an idiot. What were you thinking? How stupid of you. You know that God doesn't want you to do that. And then he starts heaping loads of condemnation on you. But you're in the middle of it. So difficult to get out of it. And you're trying to play the game, trying to get, well, then I'll work this and I'll work that. and be, It's just absolute destruction. And we'll see after nine or ten months of thinking he got away with it, David finds out that he didn't get away with it. That the Lord would remind us, you know, again and again, that the most dangerous place to be in spiritual life is kicking back and pulling away from the things of God. If it's time to do battle, believer, then don't send someone else into the battle. It's, you could say the days in which we live, you know, these days of Noah, these last days, these challenging days, these perilous times, you could say this is the time when it was time for believers to go out to battle. Make sure that you go out to battle. <laughs> don't send somebody else. Fight for your wife. Fight for your husband. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your kids. Fight for your integrity. Fight for it. It's worth it. It sure is. And with that encouragement from Pastor Ed Taylor, we'll draw this edition of Abounding Grace to a close. We've been in 2 Samuel 11 all week as it has much to say to us. 
And we pray God has used it to encourage you to stay far away from sin and embrace God's better plan for your life. Don't forget, you can access these studies online at calvaryaurora.org or request a CD copy for $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Have you had a chance to download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps? They're free and a great way to study the Word through your mobile devices. Search for Calvary Aurora. It's listeners like you that allow us to bring the teaching of God's Word to the radio and Internet. If you've been listening a while and grown as a result, we'd be very grateful for your financial help. And for a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. When we pray consistently and persistently, big things happen. Radical Prayer offers a glimpse into what can happen when we pray as Jesus taught us. You'll be encouraged to pray with boldness and expect great things. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 2 Samuel here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.